Chronicles, uh, chapter 29, verses 12 through 18. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and give and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to make this free will offering? For all things come from you. And of your own, we have given you. For we are aliens and transients before you, as, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you search the heart and take pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in your hearts, in the hearts of your people, and direct their hearts towards you. And the New Testament scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 16, or verses 6 through 15. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity which will produce thanksgiving to God through us for the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. May we be grateful for the hearing, reading, and understanding of this word. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you once again for your scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us as we read it. Lord, that these texts were written so long ago, still have so much relevance for us today. If there was a word or a phrase that struck our heart, or stuck out to us this morning. Help us to reflect on that and go back to it throughout the day and seek your voice. And Lord, I pray in these coming moments you would speak through me. And Lord, I pray always you would speak in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So last night before we, uh, we, um, our family was putting our daughter, uh, almost two-year-old daughter Elizabeth, to bed, we were playing something on the TV, a, a Christmas movie called uh, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. Have you all seen this? It's kind of one of those classic, you know, Christmas feels. And um, one of the stories in this, my wife reminded me of just a really sweet story of how uh, Mickey wants to get Minnie this gold chain for Christmas. Just, just wants to save up and get this gold chain for the one and only heirloom that she has, which is her watch. And so he works at, he, he works, um, at Crazy Pete's uh, tree lot. And um, some things go down there, and Mickey uh, does some things, and uh, he does good things, but the boss is kind of mean, and uh, Mickey ends up getting fired, and then um, the whole um, tree lot eventually catches on fire, which is quite the story. But eventually, uh, Mickey doesn't have the money to get that chain for Minnie. So what does he do? He goes and tries to trade off his harmonica, um, and plays it for the store owner, and the store owner thinks it's just amazing. So he's able to kind of transition and get this chain for his harmonica. So he gives his harmonica away. Meanwhile, Minnie also wants to get Mickey a special Christmas gift as well. So she works hard at her department store and tries to get overtime so she can get this kind of Christmas special bonus. Well, she does that, but she realizes the bonus isn't actually cash, but the bonus is a fruitcake. So that's kind of purpose, uh, purposeless for her because she was hoping to, to get paid so that she could get Mickey uh, this gift as well. So Mickey has the idea, um, after he has the idea of trading in his harmonica, you realize at the end of, the, at the end of this little skit or movie um, within this um, particular movie that you realize that uh, Minnie uh, no longer um, has her watch uh, she ends up uh, getting rid of that. So when they exchange presents, the presents virtually become useless because she gets Mickey a box for his harmonica, and he no longer has the harmonica, and then Mickey's able to give the chain to Minnie, who no longer has the watch. And the irony is, is that they both thought of each other, and the gifts essentially become useless. Or do they? become useless because they both had this sense of wanting to give. They both had this sense of wanting to, to put the other first. And they were thinking not of themselves, but how they could bless somebody else. And I know for me, as I've gotten older, I have realized, especially in this season that leads to Christmas, I know it's an old cliche saying, but I truly do believe it is better to give than to receive. I would rather watch someone open a present that I put thought and detail to, to see their face and their joy, than for me to open a present. There's just something about being able to give and to bless others that can bring us joy. And I think that's kind of how God wired us, is that we are meant to be generous people, joyful people, people who are excited to, to bless others. And that's what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks here at the church. We've been talking about uh, financial generosity, what it looks like um, um, in the life of a church and in, in our own Christian discipleship. So just a little recap. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how financial generosity isn't just something nice that we do, but it's part of discipleship. It's part of who we are 
as followers of Christ that impacts our everyday lives, no matter who we are. We also talked about how all the gifts that we have been given are from God, everything that we have, and that includes our money. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we study hard. We, some of us go to school for different things, or uh, we, we've just, we've, we've earned it, right? We've, we've really worked hard. We get up early hours for years and years, absolutely. And we, we've kind of talked about how even the ability to have the health to work, to have the stamina, to have the abilities and the gifts to do whatever it is that you do is still a gift from God. The capacity to even make money is a gift that is given to us from God. And last week we talked about stewardship. And what does it look like to be good stewards of all that God has given to us? How, do, how are we good stewards, stewards of ourselves? How are we good stewards of our time? We talked about budgeting even our schedules and our time and, and how we don't want to miss those important things. What does it look like to be good stewards of that time we've been given? And then, of course, we talked about what does it look like to be good stewards of our finances? We talked about personal budgets a little bit and the importance of that. And I share with you our church budget. And... Uh, share with you uh, the generosity of our church and how um, almost $50,000 of our uh, church budget goes towards uh, mission work. When you combine our apportionments through our conference and, and through the uh, 10% of our budget that we give towards mission work anyway, when you combine that, it's almost $50,000 that our church is giving to impact lives of others. And it's amazing, and it's a, it's a great gift, and it's something that really brings me joy uh, as the pastor of the church. So when we talk about the importance of financial generosity, as we continue to talk about that um, this week, we've, we've discussed that good idea of being a good steward and taking care of what we've been given, but what does it look like to be, to be more intentional with our finances? What does the Bible even tell us about giving? And from the early days of the Old Testament, we see even Abram, where he becomes Abraham, giving a tenth of, of everything to God. God's people observed uh, the practice of giving and of, of, the, of the portion of what they had, the best of what they had, they practiced giving that to God. We see the practice of tithing and giving the first fruits um, in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and places like that. The Israelites also would, um, the, you know, this community that was rescued from slavery in Egypt, the Israelites would, would practice giving what was called the first fruits. And in, the, in our English Bibles, first fruits is... Um, is really used two ways. One, it's, it's used to describe that kind of first portion of that uh, produce of the land. And then the other time it's used, it talks about the ceremonies that are involved with that giving of the first portion uh, of the harvest and those sorts of things. And, you know, when, when the Israelites gave their first fruits, they were acknowledging uh, that God had ownership of all they had, that the land that they had been given came from God. And it was their way of representing good stewardship in their day and to be good stewards of what God had blessed them with. And then even at the end of the Old Testament in, in Malachi, we see Malachi is calling people to tithe and that God's going to open the windows of heaven and pour down blessings. You know, our financial generosity is important, but let's be reminded that it's not the only thing that is important that we can give all day long, but, gee, but, but we know that, that Scripture also teaches, even in Malachi or in the Old Testament, is to, 
uh, what, what does the Lord really require of us? It's to seek justice, to do mercy, to walk humbly with God each and every day, that we put our faith into action and how that is important as well. And even in the New Testament, Jesus um, chastises the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisy because, yes, they're tithing, but they're also missing out on the opportunities to practice justice and love and mercy and faithfulness. And it's a reminder that, that giving our financial generosity is important, but we don't detach that from practicing those acts of compassion and justice and mercy towards our neighbors. We don't want to neglect the opportunity to give. You know, I shared last week my temptation to, as I was preparing a sermon on good stewardship, I was tempted to impulse buy something for a couple hundred dollars. And my wife had to nicely remind me that that's not good stewardship. And I was like, right, you're correct. Now let me get back to my sermon on good stewardship. It was totally hypocritical of me. And even this week, it happened again. You know, I'm at the store somewhere and buying something that we need. I can't remember if it was for me or just something we needed around the house, but somebody at the register is like, would you like to add a dollar or two towards, you know, whatever it was? And I'd already decided when the question started coming out that my answer was no. I said, no, I'm good. And I walk out and I'm thinking, Really? I mean, obviously, I can't do that all the time everywhere, but I'm thinking about here I am buying something for me or for our family, and I can't spare an extra dollar or two, whatever it was. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, that's not going to be good stewardship. It was just me literally not feeling like it. It was a moment where maybe I didn't feel like showing that love and compassion. And that's something that daily comes or, or that, we, that we perhaps all wrestle with, at least myself. You know, Paul spending some time in the letter to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, he's doing this in a similar way. He's, he's appealing for those who are in need. He's asking the church, the body of believers, to, to help those who are in need, in particular, the poor that are in Jerusalem. And Paul's reaching out and he's asking this church in Corinth to be generous with their money. And when it comes to financial generosity in the local church, Paul can remind us of, of some things as he reminded the church in Corinth and as we read this morning. So when it comes to giving, here are two things that Paul reminds us. Number one, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. That when we give, we don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. You know, after Thanksgiving week, there's all, a lot of times we have leftovers. We have, um, we've had, we had, a, we had a lot of good stuff, I'm telling you. And there's still a little pumpkin pie in our fridge. So last night, we sit down, begin to watch a show on TV, and I opened up the pumpkin pie, and there's half a pumpkin pie left. And it just happened to be cut down the middle, so it was like one quarter and the other quarter. So I thought, that looks like a pretty good slice. <laughs> and I didn't cut it. And I just took the quarter of the pumpkin pie and put it on the plate and slapped some Cool Whip on there. And um, 
our daughter Shayla kind of looked at me and was like, huh. And I was like, kind of felt judged in that moment. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, it was kind of like a guilty eating. It was like, oh, man, I, I kind of feel bad about doing this now, and I'm going to continue to do it. But, you know, I, I, it's so good, but it, but it kind of feels bad, too, because somebody called me out on my, on my portion size, which obviously was not good stewardship of myself. But it was just a huge piece, and I began to feel a little bit guilty. I began to feel a little bit ashamed of of having a piece that was that big. I don't know if I cut it into two and just had two pieces, if it would look different. I don't know. But it was a really big piece, and it was delicious. And there's still another quarter left over there today, so I'll have to think about that. But that's not how we're supposed to feel when we give. We're not supposed to feel guilty when we practice financial generosity or tithing in the church. We're not supposed to feel like oh, this is just an obligation. I feel so bad or ashamed if I don't do it. It's supposed to be a way to express gratitude, to, to practice an act of worship in the midst of the worship setting. It's not meant to make us feel like we're awful if we don't do it. It's just one way we express that gratitude for all that God has done in our lives, for all that God has done in the world, for all that God is continuing to do in our lives and for all that God is continuing to do in this beautiful world that God has created. And God wants us to be cheerful. God wants us to be excited. God wants us to be joyful about giving. And may, we may not always feel extremely grateful, or we may not always feel joyful, and sometimes it's a step of faith to give, but the more we are generous, with our finances, the more generous we become as people. And it's a beautiful thing. And the more cheerful we can become. So Paul reminds us right off the bat, don't give reluctantly. Don't give out of compulsion. Give out of your heart. God wants you to give cheerfully. The second thing Paul can remind us when it comes to giving is that Paul says, give as you have made up your mind. Give as you have decided. Give as you have thought and prayed about. God's not going to make you do a thing. God's not going to make me do a thing. You can never give a penny to the local church, and God's still going to love you with the same love that he loves the most generous giver in history. It's not about a contest. It's not, it's not about paying for things now because I messed up so much in, in my past, I'm just going to give more now and maybe God will love me more. It's not about that. God's love for us is unconditional. We can't do a thing to make God love us more or less. It's about love. It's about generosity. It's about tithing being an act of worship. And the church can't make you tithe. I can't make you tithe. And as members of the church, um, for those who are members, you, you vow one of the things you vow to, to do in your membership is to be faithful in the ministries of the church in one way is through your gifts. And that's what we're talking about, that financial generosity. And tithing is that weekly reminder that we can be generous with what we've been given and that money is not our God. That we don't worship money, we worship Christ. And money isn't bad, but money can divide. Money can divide in big ways and if we're not careful, money creates a distance between us. And it's hard to love your neighbor 
when you're divided and when there's a wedge between us. And ideally, you know, Scripture teaches that 10% of what we have goes to God and that that's called the tithe. And most Christians today still agree that giving the tithe is a good guideline for our lives based on Scripture, and it's a practice um, that is pleasing to God. And one way we live out our generosity is to be someone who tithes, and to give a tithe means to give one-tenth of what God has given us to give it back to God. One um, thing I've seen before that I found helpful that I want to share with us has to do with apples. So if you imagine that all that we have are apples, these look good, don't they? So God gives us 10 apples. I hope there's 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So God gives us ten apples. And if we are people who practice the tithe, what basically that is saying is that God says, I have given you these ten. I would like the green one. I would like to have this one. I've blessed you with all of this. I would like this one. The other nine apples, I want you to live off that. I want you to be generous with that too. I want you to be good stewards of that as well. But when we talk about the tithe, this is what we're talking about. And it's very similar to last week with the pumpkin pie illustration, is that sometimes if we're not good stewards of the nine apples, what do we do? I need some of this, God. I need that little extra because I haven't been a good steward. And there are things that I have that I don't necessarily need, but they're nice. But I need a little more. And I'm going to take some of your apple. And we've all been there. And it's hard. It's not easy. But the green apple goes to God. And that's what we strive for. And that's what part of good stewardship can look like. Anything beyond the green apple that we give, that's called the offering. So every week when we see in the bulletin, the tithes and offerings, and tithe is our, is our green apple back to God. Anything after that, that we give beyond that 10%, that's the offering. It is offering beyond what we feel that God has asked us to give. And the tithe, ideally, the tithe is not the end game. It's more of the floor than the ceiling. I talked to a man one time. I couldn't believe it. His dad was a pastor too, I think. And he told me at the end of his life, his dad was, had gone beyond the tithe and was giving somewhere up to 40% of what he made away. He was being generous with 40% of his income, which is gone. He would just use it on great things, ministries and people. And he said, towards the end of his life, he said, I wish I could give more. Someone that gave almost 
nearly close to half of their income away, was still feeling a nudge to keep, to keep, to keep. And I was like, I could not imagine that. I couldn't imagine someone being that generous and still feeling a burden like they wish they could give more. You know, John Wesley had some great things to tell us on money. The founder of the Methodist movement in the 18th century, he said, remember this about money. He said, earn all that you can. It's pretty good, right? Okay, earn all you can. And then he said, save all that you can. Not bad. And then his third one was, give all that you can. So in other words, Wesley would say, earn all you can and save all that you can so that you can give all that you can, that you can be generous. And he was a great steward. Even in England, when they had those, you know, white wigs that, you know, made everybody look nice, he refused to to wear them because of the cost. He thought that money could go to, to the poor. So a lot of times when you see John Wesley with black hair, that's why, because he refused to to wear the wig or whatever it was, yeah, wig. And it's just little things like that that he practiced good stewardship. And I'm asking you to be generous with your finances. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. And if you've never considered tithing, I wanna encourage you to consider it. And if I'm asking you to be generous, I need to be transparent with you. And I need to be open with you because my wife and I have decided years ago that we were gonna strive to the best of our ability to tithe because we know that it's important. And we always haven't been able to make it work, but we've always budgeted for it. It's at the top of our budget and we give even sometimes when it doesn't make sense. And my salary at the church is part of our church budget, so therefore it's common knowledge. It's not a secret. Anybody can go and look at what I make and um, our church conference in a couple weeks will vote on my salary for next year. But I'll just tell you, my salary is $40,000 a year at this church. So what my wife and I do is to say, 10% of that is $4,000. So what we strive to do is obviously divide that up and everything and try to figure out this is what we want to give back to God this year. This is what we want to do. And this is what we want to give off the top before we do anything else because it means that much to us and supporting the ministries of this church. And that's our goal. And it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it makes sense. But we have never missed a meal. And we have been blessed. And we just can't explain it but it's just something that we feel that is important for our own journey and spirituality. And, you know, maybe you're on board. Maybe you're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, that that green apple thing, you know, that totally makes sense, but it's just too hard for me to virtually think about that right now. It's nearly impossible. I understand that. But what I would say is, where are you? And where could you start working towards that? What would be a step of faith for you, whatever that is? We're all in different places and we all have different stories. Some of you are very blessed and some of you can go beyond 10%. Some of you can get the tithe and move right into the offering even further. 
Some of you may be where my wife and I are, where 10% is really where we're at, and that's what we can do. And maybe you join us in that journey. Some of you may be, say, you know, I can't do that, but maybe I can take a step closer. Maybe I can look at what 3% would look like. Or if I'm given 3%, maybe I can look at what 5 would look like, or 7 And to think about that and to consider that and to look at that and go home and pray about it and write it on paper and decide what you feel God is calling you to do. And some of you have never made financial generosity a part of your Christian discipleship. And maybe that's a prayer that you go home and pray about and wonder, is God calling me to be a more cheerful giver? And some of you may be completely underwater Your debt's overwhelming, you're in foreclosure or bankruptcy, and you may literally have nothing. And the church is for everyone, no matter who gives, no matter what's going on. And right now, I think we just need to be the church for you, if that's you. And and we need to walk alongside of you. Don't ever feel like you can't be a part of this church because you don't give. This church is for everybody. And what you feel in your heart that you are being led to do, take that step. I heard a story once of a man who had came into a church and he had no money, you know, nothing, nothing but himself. And the offering, you know, began to go around and it's so awkward when you're new in a church and the offering plate comes by and you're not ready for it. And it's just like, oh, what are they going to think if I keep, you know, passing it and all this stuff and I've totally been there. And so the offering plate comes by and man has, has nothing. And during the uh, song, he, he brings the offering plate up. He puts it um, right in front of the altar area and he just puts both feet in the offering plate. And he says, this is all I have. Lord, I give myself. I give all of me. Everything that I have is yours. That's a picture of, of who we're called to be. It's not just our finances, but it's all that we are. It's every, everything that God has given to us that we want to bless God with and, and we want to devote ourselves fully to God. God wants us fully on board to be a f- devoted disciple of Christ. So may we take that next step today, whatever that is for you, to be a more devoted disciple of Christ Maybe it's taking a step to be more generous with your finances. Or maybe it's taking a step to be more vocal about talking about God's love with your family and with your friends or with your coworkers. Or whether it means maybe just seeking out new ways to be the hands and feet of Christ in your community. What does it look like for me to be like Christ in my town or on my street or in my cul-de-sac? What does that look like? Maybe that's the step I need to take today. But whatever it is, May we live in such a way where others see us and and they say they put God first at everything. They look like Christ in all that they do. They live like Jesus lived in the world. And may that allow God to soften their heart so that they can experience that great love as well. We are truly loved, church. We are loved. So let's live in that way that shows that Christ is king of our lives. Because today is Christ the King Sunday, by the way, where we are reminded of who God is 
where we are reminded that Jesus is king and what an exciting season that we're about to enter into the life of the church where we remember that this king came to us not on a horse with a sword and chariot, but this king came to us as a crying infant child. In this Advent season, we are going to prepare once again for the coming of Emmanuel, for the reminder that God is with us. And I am very excited once again to walk with you through this season of Advent that starts next week. So let's pray. Holy and gracious God, all that we have is yours. And we thank you for your presence with us. Help us, Lord, to be people who are faithful to you in all that we do. Help us to show our love for you and our neighbors each and every day this week. And I invite you just to take a moment to reflect where you are, to pray.